in a moment. <clears throat> Just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream on YouTube right now. Uh, this is just one part of our service here at the Chelsea Community Church in combination with City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole service via Zoom, drop us an email, uh, or you can just come down here to Chelsea Community Church on Sunday mornings and uh, be a part of our time together. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to James chapter 4. And before we read, let us bow for prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray now that you'd speak it into our hearts and minds in the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people this day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. James is writing here and he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Oh. People get ready. You know it? There's a train coming. Don't need no baggage. You just get on board. Oh, you can sing it with me. You don't, all you need is faith to hear those diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Everybody now. People get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear those diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Yeah, I thought about doing that whole song. And we might do it before this sermon series is over. But uh, I was praying. I've been praying actually for a couple of weeks. And it's like, God, what do we need to talk about? What, 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 what's the word that you want to bring? I don't just sit about and say, oh, I'll, I'll preach on Exodus now. I really like to listen and have the Lord guide 
what I'm going to be saying and, and speaking. And, uh, and it was a hard go because I couldn't hear anything. And then suddenly, this last week, I'm praying about this, asking the Lord, and he said, people, get ready. People, get ready. And then the song came into my mind. And, uh, and I've listened now to about 60 different versions of that song. I've kind of narrowed down my two favorites. Uh, I won't tell you what they are because I can't remember the first guy. Uh, but uh, the second one kind of dates me. It's Glenn Campbell. But uh, uh, he had a great version of it, though, and he was a good guitarist and everything. But people get ready. People get ready. I mean, that, that theme, that idea, is just really in my mind. And I think it's something that the Lord is saying uh, to his people and to people in general because of what's happening in our world. I mean, obviously, we're in such a time of instability right now, such a time of craziness, and we don't really know what's going to happen. You know, so we've got to get ready. We have to get ready. And also, I think we're on the cusp of a major movement of God. You know, we've talked about that for City Temple, how we're about to enter into a season of God's favor, a season of multiplication, and that applies to Chelsea as well. And so we need to get ready. We need to get ready. So the next few weeks, we're going to focus on this theme, people get ready, and how we prepare ourselves, by, primarily as individuals, but also in the context of the community of faith, how we prepare ourselves for what God's going to do. Because you've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. If you're waiting for a train and you're sitting at the station and you're having a lovely conversation with somebody, that train could come and you're not ready to get on. That happened to me one time. I was with one of our administrators, uh, Richard, many, many years ago, and we were going somewhere way out of, out of London, up north, and... Uh, and we're sitting and we're talking and we're having a great conversation and realized as the train is pulling out of the station that we just missed our destination. And we had to go about 20 minutes further down the road because the stops weren't closed and then turn around and come back. Uh, and we were uh, subsequently late. So you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. And that's what we're talking about. That's what people get ready. How is God calling us to get ready? How do we get ready for all that God is going to do? And the word today is people get right with God. Get right with God. Now we need to be right with God. People overall need to get right with God. There's a lot of people who, who don't really know God. I saw an interesting statistic this morning. Uh, I have to look into it a little bit more. But it said that less than half of the UK population knows a Christian personally. That's pretty extraordinary. Now, I imagine that most people do. They just might not know that the people they know are Christians, which in itself is also extraordinary. No, but, but people aren't thinking about God. People are not thinking about eternal issues. People are not thinking about their destiny. People are not thinking about what's going to happen. I remember in the hospital, I talked with a lot of young people, a lot of young nurses, uh, about spiritual issues, and it didn't matter whether they were an atheist or they were uh, a Muslim or they were from a Christian background. Consistently, what people were saying 
was, well, you know, that's, that's kind of for older people. And, I, and it's not that I don't believe. It's just that I think I'll wait until I get a bit older and, uh, and then I'll look into these things. You know, maybe right before you die. You know, that used to be the, the whole thing. Uh, you know, people just say, well, I'll, I'll wait right until just before I die. The problem is you don't know when you're going to die. And so you need to get right with God. And, uh, and that, it's not just people in general, but also it's Christians that need to get right with God. I mean, all you have to look at is the Western church right now and look at scandal after scandal, falling after falling of leaders. They see how people are just leaving the church in droves, and you know something's going on there. Something is going on there. So we got to get right with God. But that means that perhaps in some way we got wrong with God in the first place. And so how is it that people get wrong with God? After all, we know God is a loving God. God loves us. God wants people to thrive. God wants people to have life. That evidence is in in Jesus Christ. God wants people to have blessings, but obviously not everybody receives that. And some people get on God's bad side. In fact, we all get on bad side because we get wrong with God in a general sense by sinning, through sin. And sin is anything contrary to God, to God's will, to God's character, whether you intend to do it or you don't. And sin gets us wrong with God. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of sin in our lives, we've all died spiritually, even if we're alive physically. And because of sin, we are at odds with God. All of humanity is at odds with God because of sin. All sin leads to death. But we need to understand, not all sins are equal. Now that was uh, common. A lot of people say, well, one sin's just like any other. No, it's not. Every sin is the same in terms of the consequence of death. So it doesn't matter how big or how small your sin was, you died. But some sins clearly are worse than other sins, and we know that. The eternal consequences of sin are forgiven, but there can be very temporal consequences of sin, even for us as Christians. God is no fool. We need to understand God is merciful. God is loving, God is gracious, but it doesn't mean that God tolerates sin. And so we need to understand that and embrace that and take sin rather seriously. And the way we deal with sin, of course, according to the Bible, is through repentance. We repent. That means that we confess it, we renounce it, and we replace it. And I think where a lot of people fall down is through the confession part. You know, because a lot of people say, well, well, okay, I've messed up a little bit, but it's my parents' fault. You know, you say that, that's not confessing, that's justifying. I, I, well, I sinned there, but the devil made me do it. That's justifying. Well, yeah, I sinned, but I have an addiction. That's justifying. 
You know, confession is just saying, God, I've sinned. There's no excuse for it. And now I renounce it, and I'll turn away from it. And confession, uh, repentance always works because of the cross of Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, repentance works because Jesus paid the price for all of our sins when he died on the cross. So if you're not following God, everybody gets wrong with God, but if you're not right now following God, how do you get right with God? Well, you get right with God by repenting. Turn away from your sin. You get right with God then by believing, having faith in the good news that Jesus died on the cross for you, paying the price for your sin, and that he rose from the dead bodily on the third day in victory over death in order to be your leader, to be your Lord. And then surrender yourself fully to Jesus Christ as that leader. That's how people get right with God in a general basis. That's the way that God has provided for all of humanity to get right with God. And the bill's already paid. People just need to receive it through Jesus Christ. And so for most of us here, and probably many people listening, I mean, we know all this, right? It's kind of like a, 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 a refresher course, if you will. But, you know, not only people in general get wrong with God, but also, you know, as Christians, we can get wrong with God. God gets upset at all sin. Don't get me wrong. God gets upset at all sin. But you know what? All sin is not equal in God's sight. All sin gets death, but all sin is not equal. God doesn't look at telling a lie in the same way as he looks at pedophilia. It's just not. We need to understand all sin even that smallest lie has the consequence of death outside of Christ. But understand, God has a hierarchy of sin. And if you want to know that, one of the, th one of the great words in the Bible is abomination. And look up that word sometime, do a word study, look up abomination, and see what God calls an abomination. And if you want to know what God calls an abomination, I believe it's more frequently than anything else in the Bible. I know at least a half a dozen times God calls this an abomination. And you probably have a thought in your mind right now. So you can check your thought. God calls an abomination dishonest weights and measures. How about that? You surprised? That's what God calls an abomination to him that is an unfair economy where people aren't treating each other fairly economically. That really makes God angry. You know, so we can get wrong with God. And in many places around the world, many places in the West, I think there are a lot of people and churches that, who, who are saved. Don't get me wrong. They're going to go to heaven. They've got their eternal salvation. The Lord is holding on to them but because of their sin, they've gotten wrong with God. 
and they need to get right with God. And there's a dynamic there. There's a, there's a tension there. You read in the book of Exodus, you read a story about Moses after he'd taken uh, the people out of the promised land. There was a time when the angel of the Lord came and was going to kill him and his kids. Why? You think, golly, why is God going to kill the guy who is, you know, talks to face to face with him like a, uh, like a man does with a friend? And it's because Moses had not obeyed and done circumcision. And thankfully, as in many cases, it was the wife that got, you know, got wind of this and worked things out and solved the situation and made sure that they all got circumcised. There's a tension there. And so James talks about a number of sins that for us as Christians really get us wrong with God. And it's surprising that most of these are not things we normally think about. You know, there's a lot of people that like to list all kinds of sexual sins and all these other sins, this, that, and the other thing. And don't get me wrong, God gets upset at those things. But there are some things that God is very angry with when his people practice these things. So let's look at how Christians get wrong with God. Now remember, God loves us, but his love is always connected to his holiness. Okay, one of the things, and I'll just go through, I'm not going to exegete all this whole passage, uh, but you can just follow down through the passage. I largely follow this in order in the passage. One of the things that God really gets upset about is where people create disunity and disease in the body of Christ through fighting and quarreling. What causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? God really doesn't like that. And I'm so thankful that we don't do that at City Temple. We don't do that at Chelsea either. But God really gets upset with that. And I see a lot of churches, you know, a lot of people just allow themselves to get offended, get upset. They start arguing, they start bickering, they start attacking one another. And, you know, all these things happen, and God really doesn't like that. God really doesn't like that. Another big thing, a second big thing, and probably it's one of the biggest focuses in this passage, is you could summarize it as selfishness. God really gets upset at selfishness, self-centeredness amongst his people. And there's several examples here. James talks about the passions that are at war within us. And that word passion also means pleasure. So the idea is, I want this pleasure, I, I, want, I want it my way, I want, I want what's going to feel good for me. I want what's going to be easy for me. And that gets at war within you so you don't do what God wants you to do. Where you start to murder other people because you don't get your own way. Now most of us don't actually murder people, but you know what I, oftentimes happens is somebody doesn't get their own way so they start to attack, personally attack another person. And they don't usually do that face to face, they usually do it behind the scenes. And so if you ever hear somebody attacking somebody else, know that actually they're murdering that person because the person doing the attacking didn't get their way in some way. And so they're complaining and grumbling about it. Or he talks about how we argue because we want something that someone else has 
and we don't get it for ourselves. You know, and it might not be a thing. It might be like attention. Like, oh, I want to be a, have attention. I want to be on the worship team. Uh, you know, I, I think I could, I could be a better singer than Olashina, and so I should be on the worship team. You know, that kind of attitude. And so it leads to arguing, but it's coming out of selfishness. Or uh, where you're so selfish, you just bypass God. You don't have because you don't ask. Why don't you ask? Because you're not thinking about God. You're thinking about yourself. If you're thinking about yourself all the time, rather than saying, what does God want here? What does God want to do? There's an issue there. Or you start to distort your spiritual activities for your own wants and your own pleasure. Like prayer. He says, well, when you do pray, you don't get it because you're asking for the wrong motives. So often, gosh, we we hear, oh Lord, uh, I just pray that you would that you would bless this person and help this person do the right thing. And, you know, and all of that, that person that's doing that prayer is just saying, you know, they've upset me with something, and now I'm using prayer to try to get my own way and to telegraph to everybody that I really don't like this person or they've mistreated me. You know, and that's a, a form of selfishness. Where we pursue our own agendas especially that comes out of our own passions, our pleasures. And and with all these things, we have to be careful because we are very good at spiritualizing sin and making sin sound good or making sin sound acceptable. And we give ourselves excuses for it when there's no excuse. And we hide our selfishness behind sinful activities, or, or behind, behind uh, uh, good-sounding activities or, or words and things. So selfishness is a big thing, and it's so big there's a lot of examples of it, but you really got to seek yourself and always ask yourself, am I being selfish? I do that all the time. I'm always afraid uh, because it's very easy for a leader to say, well, you know, I want it my way. It's my way or the highway. You know, and that is so selfish, and there's so many self-centered leaders out there, and I don't want to be one of them. I thank God that I've got people like Olashina and Andrew and Marcos to make sure that I'm not one of them, because they'll take me down a peg if they ever sense that there's something there going on. So that's a, a second issue. A third issue is what James calls friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. Now, we know what friendship is. It's being attached to another person by affection, esteem. You know, we get familiar with them. Uh, We make them our companion. Now, the world, when the Bible talks about the world, most of the time it's talking about the collective humanity and all our world systems and the people of the world and and the possessions of the world, uh, all of those, uh, those kinds of things, the morality, the values, the spirituality, the materialism, the practice, uh, the orientation away from God and outside of Christ. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the world. And it means that we start to make the world's values, the values of our culture, the values of our society, more familiar to us than God's values. We start to allow the world's values to shape our thinking more than we allow God's values 
to shape our thinking. You know, for example, fairness. Do you ever think about fairness? For most of us, fairness, well, we think everybody treated the same. But you know, that's not fair. Fairness is everybody being treated as they need to be treated. That means that fairness is sometimes treating somebody with more care and more compassion than you do someone else because they need it more in that moment. Uh, the difference is that's the biblical value of fairness as opposed to the world's value of fairness, everybody treated the same way. And you can see all kinds of other things. You know, The world's looking at finance. I mean, for many years, there was this push. Oh, just borrow money, borrow money, borrow money, borrow money for everything. And that's the world's values, but it's not God's values. Because God says the borrower is the slave to the lender. And we're seeing that now. And you can look at sexuality and, and many other areas that are around. You know, it's really striking. Well, no, I won't go into that, sorry. Uh, so what is our definition? What's friendship with the world? It's basically looking to the world, its systems, its people, its possessions, to meet your desires and fulfill your needs as the source of your happiness and your sense of fulfillment. It's caring about the same things in the same way that the world cares about them. Or it's compromising yourself with the values and methods of the world, especially when they are at odds with God's wisdom. Now, there are a lot of good stuff in the world around us. There are a lot of good things that are taught there. We thank God that our society is based on Judeo-Christian values. So there's a lot in our society that is consistent with the Bible and does not need to be rejected or resisted. But we have to discern what those things are. And the danger here is that if you become a friend with the world, according to James, you make yourself God's enemy. God becomes your adversary. That's as a Christian. James is not, he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to non-Christians. And James says, if you have friendship with the world, you will make yourself God's enemy. God will be your adversary. And that's not a comfortable place to be. Let me tell you, not a comfortable place to be. God is a jealous God, and he demands, he demands our affections. And James is reminding us of that. And then two other sins that gets us, get us wrong with God. Another one is pride. And pride is another very, very big one. That's being haughty, arrogant. You have a high opinion of yourself. Or you're sometimes contemptuous of others. You think your way is better. Your ideas are better. And, uh, uh, and you lift yourself up. And pride is a major sin. In fact, I often say that I fear pride more than any other sin. I fear pride more than any other sin because by, the Bible says that God actively opposes the proud. It's even more than being God's enemy. God is actively opposing you if you walk in pride. 
And the problem is with pride, it's like bad breath. You don't know you have it, but the people around you do. The other morning, Karen came in to, to give me a kiss while I was praying, and she's like, whoa, you got poo-poo breath. You know, it's just like, it's really terrible. And I didn't know that. But we, so if you want to know if you're proud, ask somebody who really, really knows you, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you. But there's this tension that happens if you're walking pride, because there are a lot of proud Christians who are successful. And it's true. And for a season, God will allow you to walk in success in your pride for the sake of other people and the blessing that they're receiving from you. But the day will come when God stops that tension and all of a sudden you'll have a fall. And we've seen it. We have seen it if we watch the headlines. We have seen it. And the bigger you are, the harder and the further you fall. And so we have to beware of pride. And the last one is rebellion. Rebellion is there. And that's where you do your own thing in your own way. And one of the big deceptions of rebellion is that many times we practice what I call selective submission. We'll submit to some things, but not to others. I will say, okay, God, you can have this area of my life, but all the while you're trying to hold an area behind. Might be your finances. Might be a relationship that you're not really submitting to God on. Or it might be, okay, God, I'm going to submit to you, but I'm not going to really submit to your leaders. And I'm not going to submit to your people. You know, that's not submission to God. Because God says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God says, submit to the authorities. And so that selective submission is a key sign of rebellion for many people. And so these areas are really, really serious. And we need to take it seriously as God's people because these things make us wrong with God and we need to make sure that we're right with God. We don't want to be wrong with God. We want to be right with God. And there's good news here, because we can be right with God. In fact, the really good news is Jesus has already made us eternally right with God. It's a little bit like when Karen and I, if we have a disagreement, or maybe a little bit of falling out. You know, like, oh, say, if uh, the dishwasher is empty, and I don't put my dishes in the dishwasher, but I set them on the counter over the dishwasher. There will be a, a moment that I'm wrong with Karen. And I need to get right with Karen by putting my dishes in the dishwasher or groveling, you know, with a big apology, usually crawling on my knees. Oh, please, please, please forgive me this time. Oh, great one. Uh, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that we're married. You know, that won't change. Even if I'm wrong with Karen, that won't change. And so there's a degree where I'm right. And the same way is true with us and God. We've been made right in Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have this fun, fundamental rightness with God, even when we get wrong with God, if that makes sense. And so that's really good news. 
So how do we get right with God as a Christian? And we need to understand, you only get right with God in the context of Christian community. James here, he's talking to individual Christians, but he's talking to individual Christians as a plural. So it's you all. There's no lone wolf that I'm going to go and go on a retreat for two weeks and get right with God. You've got to get right with God in the midst of God's people. The text indicates that these behaviors that get us right with God through Jesus Christ, by God's grace, that these behaviors are conducted in the midst of God's people, as part of God's people. So how do we get right with God if we've gotten wrong with God? Well, of course, start by repenting. And again, remember, don't excuse it. Just say, God, this was a sin, and I'm sorry, and I renounce it. I don't want a part of it, and I turn away from it, and I'm going to replace it with a godly behavior. What happens if you do it again? God, oh, man, God, I did it again. I confess this. Now, don't play games with God, because God knows it. So if you're confessing it as sin, but you have no intention to stop, then you're not going to get right with God. But if you confess it, and then you renounce it, and you turn away, you replace it with something else, God sees that, and the blood of Jesus covers over that sin. So you got to start by repenting. And then James says, submit to God. Submit to God. This is mean means to totally subject and subordinate yourself to God and God's ways so that it shapes and conforms your mind, your will, and your emotions. We need to be so surrendered, so submitted to God that God himself, by our submission to him and his people, begins to shape what we think, how we feel, and what we do. And it's key. And you've got to trust God to do that, but you've got to submit to God. Submit to God. If you don't submit to God, forget the rest. You're not going to get right with God. And God doesn't want us to play games with him. So submit to God. And then what James says, resist the devil. And James says, resist and keep on resisting. Resist and don't stop. And the resistance to the devil is active opposition. You know, so when those thoughts come into your mind, and you know that it's not God, right? Ladies, when you're looking at yourself in the morning, in the mirror, and you know, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I, I think I gained 10 kilos overnight in bed. I don't know. Uh, or I'm way too thin, or whatever it is. You know, just say, devil, get out of my brain. That's not how God sees me. That's not how my husband sees me, if you're married. You know, you got to actively... Resist Satan. Actively resist, and you resist, and you resist until the devil flees from you. A good example is a CPAP machine. I don't know if you've ever heard of a CPAP machine. I've only had one encounter with a CPAP machine, and I kept ripping it off my face in the hospital, which is why they intubated me when I was really sick and in the hospital. And what it does, it keeps positive pressure on your lungs so that you always have oxygen in your lungs. The problem is, it feels like, especially if it's too small for your face, like somebody's smothering you. 
even though you're not dying, but it's that positive pressure that keeps the good air in and the bad air out. And the same way, it's that positive pressure always against the enemy that keeps you resisting. And then, after you repent, you submit to God, you resist and keep on resisting the devil, then you draw near to God. You draw near to God with God's people in worship. Draw near to God in prayer. You draw near to God in faith that God is going to be drawing near to you. Knowing that even if you don't feel him, he's there. He's drawing near to you. And then the last thing is humble yourself. Humble yourself radically before God. In one sense, this is the emphasis here in what James is telling us to do. Humble yourself radically. Get down on your face before God. I remember, I'll never forget this, October of 1989, I was in Chicago, Illinois. I was at a conference in Chicago, Illinois. I was worshiping the Lord. I had my hands in the air. I was enjoying a really lovely time with God. And God spoke into my mind and said, Rod, either you humble yourself or I will humble you. Now, you know, when God says that, if he does, take it seriously. I was on my face instantly. I immediately dropped to the ground and got with my face to the floor to humble myself before the Lord. I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. And so we got to humble ourselves radically. And that's what he's talking about. He says, cleanse, you, cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, stop doing the wrong stuff you're doing. Humble yourself. Purify your heart from your double-mindedness. Oh, should I do it this way or should I do it God's way? Oh, I don't really know. Does God really want me to gather with God's people? I, you know, maybe, maybe I need to take a few, few weeks off and have a holiday from God's people. And all, you know, just stop being double-minded. Get your mind focused one way in Jesus Christ. That's humbling yourself. He says, be sorrowful, mourn, and weep over your sin, taking it very seriously. Even the smallest sin. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. And the good news is you can take it seriously and repent. You confess it and renounce it. John, 1 John 1.8, if you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's really, really good news. And then he says, humble yourself. That means lower yourself. Refuse to exalt yourself. Refuse to lift yourself up. You know, I've said at City Temple, we don't, we don't develop a platform. There have been many times, there are books out there, develop a brand, develop a platform. You know what? I want my brand to be Jesus. And I want my platform to be any platform that Jesus gives me. And the same true for Chelsea, the same true for City Temple. It's got to be about God. Let's lower ourselves. And if God chooses to exalt us, that's great. If he doesn't, that's okay too because it's all about God, it's all about Jesus. So we can repent, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and humble ourselves radically. And in that process, we get right with God. And this is a day-by-day -day kind of thing. 
Because every time we sin, we get wrong with God. But as Christians, we can keep walking in rightness with God. And that's God's intention for us. So take getting right with God very, very seriously. And we need to get right with God because we really don't know what's coming. As Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 9, for man and woman does not know his time. Like a fish, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. We take it seriously. But remember this. What James says, right there in the middle of the passage. But God gives more grace. You see, this is not works-based righteousness. God has already made the way for us to be right with him and to walk with him in in a right relationship on a day-by-day basis. Through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, by faith through which we're saved by God's grace, we've been made right with God eternally. And so we can walk in that right relationship day by day by day. Every day we can get and even remain right with God by the grace of God. And God's grace, knowing that his grace is upon us, gives us the encouragement not only to get right with God, but to stay right with God. Please don't feel condemnation here, but feel a challenge. Please don't feel condemnation, but feel hope. Please don't feel condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But we must take it seriously because our God loves us, but our God also disciplines us because he loves us. Our God is full of grace and mercy, but our God is also holy. And so we take this seriously because God took it seriously and Jesus took it seriously enough to die on the cross for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you, we worship you, we adore you, and we thank you for all that you've done in us and through us. Thank you for making us right with God by grace through faith. Now help us, Lord, every day when we get wrong with God because of our sin and our attitudes, when we get wrong with God because maybe we've quarreled with one another, or we get wrong with God because we've been selfish, and self-centered. We get wrong with you because uh, we've had friendship with the world or we've walked in pride or we've just been rebellious. Lord, by your spirit, remind us when that happens so that immediately we can know that we've gotten wrong with God and immediately we can turn by your grace and get right with God through you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, attend to us now as we come to this table. Gather with us here in this place. Nudge us, remind us of your great love. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'd just like to suggest those who are joining